All right, folks, go be great. Episode eight presented to you guys by Heart of Sports. Good weekend. Um, we had opening day on Friday for the Yankees, so that was pretty good to see. Yankees win that game 6-5 via Ghost Runner in 11. Um, I went home for my mom's 50th birthday on Sunday, so shout out mom. Happy birthday once again. And I also had a visit from my boy Jordan Banks, um, the originator of the name for the podcast, Go Be Great. Came down to my house at college on Friday. He's a Red Sox fan. Uh, didn't know he was coming, actually. I guess he let one of my roommates know that he was coming and, and did not uh, let me know. So it was great to see him. Brought some pizza. He's a Red Sox fan, so we watched Yankees Red Sox. So shout out, Jordan. Um, good to see you, man. I'm going to leave his YouTube uh, information in the description of this episode because he makes a lot of MLB content, whether it be most of the time Red Sox stuff, but he'll talk about big news uh, every occasion. And then as well, he does a lot of stuff with MLB The Show if you're into the gaming side of things with baseball. So um, once again, Jordan, good to see you. Uh, You guys got to go check him out on YouTube. Going to be a lot of MLB and NBA on the pod today, but I do have one very unfortunate story to talk about um, on the in the NFL with Dwayne Haskins, and then I want to really quickly talk about the Masters, maybe five ten minutes. Um, because Scotty Scheffler just won the Masters on Sunday and has now won four of his last six starts. Um, so we're going to go MLB and NBA after I get through Scotty Scheffler and the golf scene. And then um, a very unfortunate story with Dwayne Haskins. So like I just mentioned, Scotty Scheffler wins the Masters on Sunday. He double bogeys on 18 uh, to win by three in Augusta National, which um completely absurd to be playing with that big of a lead at that course. Um, I know that he probably, you know, I can't really imagine what he was feeling walking up 18, knowing that he could have putted it around a little bit and, and still won, which he, he actually ended up doing. Um, and so four of the last six starts are wins. He won at Phoenix uh, back in February. He won at the Alner. Arnold Palmer in Orlando, uh, early March. And then two weeks ago, he won the Dell play match match play, uh, WGC, WGC Dell match play, excuse me. And then he wins at Augusta. So now, you know, he's, he's hot. He's the number one, um, golfer in the world. Uh, he's doubled his career earnings in the last six starts, which is pretty incredible. Um, so now it's time to, to, you know, really question is this guy going to be one of the next faces of golf you know when you talk about faces of golf I think two names that really come up the most and you know maybe you can mention a couple of others as those next tier of guys that could be it but I always think about definitely Tiger Woods and then you know the next choice I think is Rory McIlroy you know he had a pretty good run the last couple of years, he actually came in second at Augusta um, with a 64 on Sunday, which was the only bogey-free round in the entire weekend. 
Um, and I believe 64 also was the lowest score of the entire weekend behind Scotty's Friday 67, so under five par. Um, you know, four of six is no fluke, folks. I think a lot of golf is about your your mind control and, uh, you know, d- definitely helps to be in good shape. You know, you kind of saw with Tiger Woods over the weekend that, you know, he's he's there for, for 18 holes. I think there's no doubt about that. You know, he shot one under and really looked good on Thursday. And he looked good for stretches of Friday, but then Saturday and Sunday kind of unraveled. And you can tell that definitely physical shape clearly does help um, in terms of your golf game. But a lot of it is mind. And, you know, he's, he's 25 years old. So I think they're showing a stat on the golf channel I was watching last night that uh, only like two or three players ever can say that they won four of six starts. Um, and I think it's Tiger, um, Arnold Palmer, and I don't know, it was Jack Nicholas and one other guy. So he would be number four. Um, so, you know, now there's going to be a lot more pressure on him. I'm sure he got a lot more uh, brand deals after, you know, last night. And, um, you know, there's a now a big stretch here in, in the middle of the, of the season. I think the next big tournament is next month, the PGA Championship. And then uh, I think the uh, British Open is in July. Um, so we'll see what happens with Scotty Scheffler. He was 14th coming into the season and earned $8.7 million. And now he has earned uh, $17 million. So he doubled his total and six starts and and has four wins, including a big, big green jacket. Um, also with Rory, have to hope, you know, golf is just better when when this guy is is good. And, you know, when the top names are are bringing eyes to the game and they're they're hitting the ball well and putting the ball well, it's, it's good for the game instead of, you know, you know, it's it's fun for real golf fans to see some of these guys that only they know when, but for example, this weekend with a lot, a lot of eyes on the Masters, uh, a blowout on Sunday really wasn't too entertaining for folks. You know, they'd rather see it close. And last year it was a lot of fun for people with Hideki winning. Um, but in terms of um, in terms of having a lot of eyes in the game. Like you, you want these guys like Tiger to be good. You know, he, he brought a lot of um, eyes to, to Augusta. Although a lot of people would have been paying attention anyway. there's so many people that just want to see what he can do. You know, he's 46 years old. Um, I'd say that Rory definitely is up there as well. You know, you have other guys such as DeChambeau, maybe taking some of, you know, being one of the big names in golf. So for Rory, uh, you know, 64 at, on Sunday at the Masters uh, to earn second place from from having plus one the first three rounds combined. Um, you just hope for a guy like that. He's only, you know, you think about him not really being too new to the game anymore, but he's only 32 years old, so he's still in good shape. Um, you just hope for the game of golf that he 
can start to, you know, put his his name up there in the top of the, you know, field, you know, top fives, uh, wins. So you know, maybe he can get back on the board in, in July when we go over to St. Andrews uh, for the British Open. Who knows? Um, but it would be good to see him uh, be up there as well. And, and so we'll, we'll be monitoring the top names of golf. You know, I'm a big fan of Justin Thomas as well. I couldn't honestly tell you what the, the tournament is for the upcoming week. Uh, I think I forgot to mention when I started the episode that today is Monday, April 11th. Um, so I'm not sure what the, the tournament is for the next week, but we'll, we'll regularly check in on golf, especially when it's majors time. Um, and so I guess the next one would be next month with with the PGA Championship. Um, so we covered the one good story from the weekend besides the MLB and NBA, and now it's time to go to the sadder side of things. Um, fortunately, at the age of 24, Dwayne Haskins, formerly of Ohio State, um, and then also spent time in the NFL uh, with both Washington, where he was drafted, and then uh, ended up with Pittsburgh the last year. And, you know, I know that Pittsburgh definitely was, you know, they could be, and certainly now, unfortunately, with the unfortunate death, could be in the market in the draft for a player. They all, uh, at the quarterback position, they also signed Mitch Trubisky. But it was fair to say that the kid, you know, first of all, was handed an unfair draft position, you know, I think in terms of um, his career, you know, going to Washington, uh, I think it's clear that when he was coming out, he maybe could have benefited from having someone there, you know, a, a veteran there that has played. You know, Taylor Heineke's good, but I'm talking about a player who could really guide this kid and give him some good insight and, and be a leader for him and, you know, go out there and play his games. And then mid-year, you know, Haskins could have taken over or maybe at the end of one year. Uh, uh, that was just my opinion on him coming out of college. But, you know, he started right away with a team that wasn't really uh, built to win much of anything, uh, didn't perform well. And then, you know, now – Last year ended up behind the retirement tour of of um, Ben Roethlisberger, but turning twenty five next month, you know he had a legitimate chance to compete, and and there was still some some story to be written about this kid. Um, so very unfortunate for the game of football. You know, you lose a kid twenty four years old, had an amazing career at Ohio State. Um, you know, and personally know know some guys from my high school that were friends with Dwayne. Um, so, you know, heart goes out to all family and friends of of, of the late quarterback. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the story with Haskins right now is uh, Adam Schefter's tweet, you know, talking about uh, – 
you know, the first tweet, I believe, is at 10.58 a.m. on on Saturday morning, I think it was it was announced, uh, maybe Friday morning. Um, you know, that Dwayne had, had passed and that he, you know, was failing to, to stick on with the two teams he was with so far. Um, you know, especially with Schefter, I think he definitely talks to so many of these guys. I don't know how he could be so detached from not having, you know, humility, I think, at, at that point. You know, you're announcing that a current NFL player has passed due to a tragic accident. Um, you just have to report the news. And I, and you can mention, like, I, I think what I just said was formerly of Ohio State and then drafted to Washington and also spent time with Pittsburgh. Uh, you can say that without having to talk about how he's been doing in the NFL. And like I mentioned, I think, who knows, you know, a lot of these great NFL quarterbacks that you talk about didn't have to produce well at their young age and went on to have amazing careers. And we judge these players immediately out of college with, like I said, with Haskins, not a great system or not a great team, you know, a team that's built to win or of any sort, you know, no quarterback with real experience to guide him. Um, so I just think he got dealt an unfortunate hand with his football career. And then, you know, unfortunately, not really familiar with the story, but it does sound like he was involved in a one car pedestrian uh car accident so just very unfortunate and um you know my, like I said my heart goes out to the family and and friends so um now that we're off of that unfortunate topic we'll move to the MLB um a lot of storylines here just in the first weekend you know first series wrapping up some second series starting today some four-game series wrapping up tonight. I, I know that uh, Seattle and Minnesota play game four of their series tonight. Uh, Pittsburgh and St. Louis was canceled for this afternoon. Cleveland and Kansas City finish up their four-game series this afternoon. So um, just an exciting time. You know, uh, I think having the MLB subscription uh, where you can watch all the games that are out of your market are just so fantastic because on Thursday and Friday when I had some free time, you know, and there were games really starting at all times of the um, afternoon. And then you think about uh, just the, the late night games where, you know, I think a couple of 930 starts for the Angels over the last couple of days. So you get to see that first inning of Otani pitching and then uh, the top three of the lineup being three all-stars and two, arguably two of the best players in the game in Otani and Trout and then followed by Rendon, um, another perennial all-star. So, um, you know, if you're a real baseball fan, you're kind of in heaven with that. And I was definitely um, 
getting my fair share of it uh, over the last couple of days. I think, you know, I, I think it's worth the money, but we get it for free with T-Mobile. Um, so, you know, not that I'm a sponsor for T-Mobile, but maybe one day um, I've definitely had better service with T-Mobile than Verizon, just saying. But anyway, yeah, and you get to... <laughs> You get to um, redeem free MLB subscriptions for the entire season and watch so many at-bats, you know, and so many great stories that I'm going to get into and that I got to witness firsthand um, over the last few days. But I obviously want to talk about the Yankees first because one of the biggest stories of the entire opening week has nothing to do with um, on-field endeavors. It has to do with the contract extension of Aaron Judge, um, the Yankees star right fielder, uh, set his deadline for contract negotiations as the first pitch of opening day. Um, and obviously then you have to figure that it was really the morning of opening day before, um, you know, and the, the GM and the agent could have definitely been in talks and I'm sure Aaron made it very clear what he wanted. And I, you know, have to believe the reports of uh, between nine and 10 years and uh, $36 million per year, which you know, I'll get into in a second. But um, I think one thing that's pretty despicable about the whole situation is that Brian Cashman was not um, scheduled to speak before opening day. And the Yankees, when, you know, they came to the conclusion that the negotiations were over and that they weren't going to meet what Aaron Judge was asking for and um, that they'll let it go to free agency and see what happens. Um, First of all, I don't agree with, with what happened, but I definitely don't agree with the fact that our GM was not scheduled to speak before opening day. Uh, We scheduled it basically um, 15 minutes before he was supposed to to go on. I think at 11, they told the press that Brian Cashman would be available. And then 11.15, he'd be out. And there he was. And, you know, it's okay to definitely tell the media, like, listen, we didn't, you know, meet with what Aaron Judge wanted and we're going to go this way. But he literally put the numbers out on the table for the media to talk about, which uh, I don't think Aaron Judge deserved. You know, there's never been a time where we haven't marketed him, marketed him as our superstar. There's never been a time where he has looked bad and, you know, as the franchise of our, you know, the face of our franchise. I think he's represented New York very well in his time. And I, you know, he's been no issues off the field. Uh, good role model for, for young Yankee fans. I, I don't. You know, he interacts with the fans well as well. I don't see for what reason we would announce this stuff. Um, So we offer him seven years and $233 million. And then when you add in the arbitration year, it would have been roughly, if I'm doing my math correctly, because he's going to get between 17 and $21 million this year. Um, 
And that would be dumb, by the way, for the Yankees to let this go to the arbitration court. They should just settle on whatever the money is, you know, 21. Um, But that's just me. That's just my opinion. Um, That would have been eight years and about $255 million. So um, just, you know, let's just assume that these reports are correct, right? Aaron Judge wants... 10 years and 360 million dollars let's just say if that you know 36 million is is what we're talking here um listen i won't lie the 10 years is a little tough uh aaron judge is going to be 31 to start the next season you know he's he's playing his age 30 season right now if i'm not um mistaken i'm just gonna quickly check that because I don't want to give you guys bad info. Um, let's see. Aaron Judge is 29, turning 30 in two weeks. Yeah. So next season, 31, and then you start 10 years from there. So contract would uh, run out when he's 41. And so let's just say that and then we lower it to like – I think it's reasonable to sign him for eight years. And I think the money is like what he's asking for, I think is not really, I I don't think he's out of, out of the ballpark with that one folks. I really don't. Um, Carlos Correa just got 35 million per year from the twins with a one year uh, after one year opt out. So, He's basically making $35 million this year. And if he decides that he's playing at a high enough level and wants to test the free agent market again and doesn't want to go back to Minnesota, that he's going to get the same exact contract or better from another team next year. Trey Turner is also a free agent, but you know we don't really know what the numbers there are going to be. Freddie Freeman got 27 from the Dodgers per year, but... Uh, I think that obviously is worth it for the Dodgers, and there's no question there. I just think you can't say necessarily that you'd rather have Aaron Judge in your lineup compared to Freddie Freeman, especially considering that year that deal is six years, and Freddie Freeman can play first base or DH. Um, and Aaron Judge, first of all, there's not really room for him on the Yankees to DH. And, you know, the one uh, thing with Aaron Judge, I guess, is that he is somewhat been injured for, you know, three seasons in a row, 2018, 19, 20. And then last year came back with uh, an amazing year, fourth in MVP voting. Um, But the knock on him is that he's obviously 6'7", 282 pounds, and you know what how is a player of that size going to last in his career especially when based on the Yankees uh roster composition John Carlos Stanton will also be there so even if they split the time half and half DH in right field um you know I it's tough to to have your eggs in those baskets when those are the, would be two of the 
biggest players lasting into their late thirties and for, you know, Aaron judge's sake, maybe even early forties. Um, and just, you know, if you look at other large players, they kind of fizzle out at like 35, uh, Jim Tomey, Frank Thomas, um, but and all of these guys are playing the infield. So it's, you know, outfield's a little bit of a different game. There's a little bit more of wear and tear. And we saw with Judge in previous years, he's gotten injured in the field, you know, diving for balls and stuff. And I'm John Carlos Stan in previous years has also been out of the Yankees fielding rotation. He was literally in there just as a DH for multiple seasons due to leg problems so you have to understand where the Yankees are coming from in this situation however what happens if Aaron Judge in terms of longevity turns into like a Tom Brady type of guy right where he stays in shape and you know maybe the injury bug is behind him like there's no way to be sure about this stuff now, we didn't offer Freddie Freeman or Carlos Correa in the last two, or in the last, yeah, these are the last two big free agents of last offseason. We didn't offer them, and we knew what they wanted, and we see what they got from their respective teams, $35 million and $27 million per year. Now, what they offered is worth, roughly $28 million per year for Judge. And he's asking for 36 I think. Like I said, it's reasonable, and he'll get it from someone else if he's not going to get it from us. Um, and I just don't understand how you let a player like that walk. Um, first of all, you know, I, I've now, you know, I made my case for where the Yankees are coming from. Now I'm going to make my case for the player. And what I believe is right is that we should should sign him um, to what he wants. You know, I there's no rules or anything saying that backwards compensation shouldn't happen or anything like that, but. Aaron Judge won the Rookie of the Year and should have been the MVP in 2017 uh, when he was in there. In 2018 and 19, although he missed, you know, portions of both seasons, he was one of the best hitters in the MLB. Um, 2020, you can discard. I mean, it was just a crazy year for everybody, but he missed time again. And then last year, doesn't miss any time, plays 148 games and turns in an MVP caliber season and comes in fourth. And, you know, in a down year for the Yankees was one of the only reasons or good things to tune in for about the Yankees the entire year was just watching Judge at bats. You know, he was having a great year. So was Stan and really not anybody else. And um, like I mentioned we, this is our superstar. Like this is our face of the franchise. How are we gonna let this guy walk? Um, you know, is it a money thing? Because then we're not gonna sign Trey Turner either. Like then, you know, even 
I don't think signing a shortstop is really the best course of action for the Yankees anyway. I mean, first of all, Trey Turner would be a great signing, and maybe you ask him if he wants to go out and play the outfield. He can play probably all three outfield positions. I know that he's played center a little bit, but for the last few years between Washington and Los Angeles, he's been a shortstop, and our top two prospects are Peraza and Volpe. They both play shortstop, and you know we have Glaber Torres at second. So I don't think getting a shortstop on a long-term deal really makes sense for the composition of the Yankees. And now we have two outfielders coming up in free agency because Joey Gallo will also be set to go. And, you know, I have no real uh, opinion on that at the moment. I think he's been a little bit less than what we thought we were getting uh, since the trade has happened, but there's definitely, um, you know, it's been a short sample and there's definitely time to turn that around and, you know, he has hit the ball hard so far this year, um, but hasn't really seen the results. Uh, one for 10 so far for Gallo, but um, I just don't see how you don't try to figure it out with this guy. I think he has been one of the best players in baseball. He's been a great face for baseball and for the franchise. Um, you know, in 2017, he beats Jose Altuve in every stat but average and strikeouts. Jose Altuve is a part of a cheating scheme, and we lose to the Astros 4-3 uh, in a season where we lose every game at Minute Maid Park in the playoffs, and they're getting signs electronically from a trash can system. So he should have been the MVP. We maybe could have made the World Series if we were playing fair. And while this is all happening in 2017 and then 18 and 19, like I said, he misses about 90 games. And I think he's missed 23% of the Yankees games since he's been in the league. But, you know, that could definitely go down with a couple of healthy seasons in a row. Um, But anyway... Between 17 and 19, he's a top player in the league and if not the best player in the league in his rookie year with 52 bombs. And he made a combined total of $1.5 million. Now, in the old days, the Yankees used to pay guys. I don't know if we're waiting for... I mean, you know, the last few off-seasons, Manny Machado has came up, we didn't offer him. Bryce Harper came up, we didn't offer him. Um, and I thought it was all because we were going to be waiting to sign Aaron Judge. But who knows what we're going to do here? Um, clearly, the Yankees were in at $28 million. Aaron Judge is at 36 And that is a, a difference that is pretty significant. But I don't think that it's because the Yankees can't afford it. I mean, I don't see... I clearly see that we have $68 million between two players and Garrett Cole and John Carlos Stanton already. And then if you have Judge at 36, that is a significant amount. But we have Glaber Torres, who still should have some years of arbitration before free agency. 
we have uh, both Volpe and Peraza coming up. You know, maybe one of them goes to third when they come up and our infield is the two of them and Glaber. Um, you know, uh, we have some outfield prospects as well. Maybe I think you can realistically build your roster around having nearly a hundred million dollars uh, towards three people. You know, the money is going up by the time the middle of these contracts are, are, you know, we're in the middle years of those contracts. You know, I think the number goes up to almost $260 million, if I remember from the CBA. So you could realistically make a roster out of that. And clearly you need good years from all of those guys. And it's fair to have questions about all three, right? Like it's fair, but I think out of the three guys in terms of longevity, what they've shown for your franchise already. Um, I don't see how Aaron judge isn't the one that you commit to the most out of those three players between Stan and Cole. So I think Yankees should do everything in their power to sign him. I thought he should have been signed before the season. Um, you know, maybe even if you tried to sign him after 2019, maybe you did get him on a hometown salary or a hometown discount, but the Yankees didn't want to do that. They let it go to arbitration the last few years. And then uh, now he is set to walk at the end of the regular or that at the end of the postseason this year, hopefully for the Yankees. Um, and so that was the biggest story, I think, in terms of things that happened off the field with the Yankees. Um, what happened on the field was a two of two out of three series win against the Red Sox. Um, Eric Cole started game one, didn't really look too good. Um, gave up a four pitch walk. And then the first pitch in the zone to Rafael Devers was hit a long way to nothing. Um, looked like he was frustrated by the game not starting on time, which was only five minute delay after we announced the entire Red Sox organization, the entire Yankees organization, um, the Ukrainian national anthem, the uh, United States of America national anthem um, and then a ceremonial first pitch. And we all got that done within five minutes of the projected start time. Um, Garrett Cole freaked out and literally let it travel with him to the mound. Um, He settled in. He looked all right after that, but not the best start for him. Um, Severino, outside of one fastball over the plates of Verdugo in game two. Looked pretty good. Bullpen was fantastic. Um, And so I watched 22 of the 29 innings because on opening day we won in 11 and then two other nine-inning games so far to start the year. But uh, I missed a couple innings on Sunday Night Baseball. Um, Like I mentioned earlier in the episode, it was my mom's birthday yesterday. So we went out to dinner at about 4 o'clock. And the game was at 7. 
and I just got the itis from from the great meal that we had. Um, I remember the first inning we gave up two runs, and then we got the bases loaded with two outs, and Labor Torres flew out, and I did not make it to the top of the second. I won't lie to you guys. Um, and I woke up in like the eighth inning to a four three ball game, but uh, Bobby Dahlbeck had a home run. And we left a lot of guys on base on Sunday night. And so we only took two of three. Also, another pretty cool stat. Jake Diekman on Sunday night recorded the first um, one, two, three strikeout the side inning. So he struck out all three batters and only faced three batters in the inning. Um, against the Yankees in the Bronx ever. Uh against Judge standing Gallo. So, you know, that, that Judge at bat was a real tough at bat. I think Judge had a couple pitches he wishes he could have back. He got beat a little bit up on 3-2 with a 95 up in the zone. Just just got under it, um, struck out. But he also had a couple of breaking pitches that I thought were uh, predictable in the counts that he had and didn't pull the trigger at. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we didn't get to complete the sweep, but a good start nonetheless. Um, now, obviously, the Yankees are the fans are a tough, tough crowd to please. And you know, if you get off to the wrong foot with them, sometimes they'll be coming for your head early. And so we have a couple of guys who have heard some some news or some booze, excuse me, and some. Some they've had some things written about them on the internet. Um, and that would be Aaron Hicks, Joey Gallo, and Isaiah Kina Falefa. Um, Aaron Hicks, two for nine early and left five men on base last night. I personally did not see in that bat that he had because he was up after Glaber Torres in the lineup. So, like I mentioned, first inning snooze after that. Get up in the eighth, um, and we went down like one, two, three in the eighth, I think. And then in the ninth inning, um, it was Judge standing Gallo, so he was obviously not one of those three guys either. So I did not see any of his at bats. But what I will say is there were some years there where you know he hasn't stayed healthy one year of his career. Um, listen, we, he's on our team. He's our center fielder. You know, there could be a situation maybe where, you know, we're in a situation to make some moves at the deadline and we can upgrade the roster. And I'm sure that would be one of the places we try to do it, especially at the plate, but he is a good defender. Um, it does stink that when he comes out of the lineup, Judge has to play center because clearly they don't want to do that, but they will have to do that frequently because, you know, we have four outfielders in the lineup and Aaron Hicks is one of them, um, but he's two for nine early. It's literally three games in the year. Let's just wait to judge all these guys. Like even I've freaked out about one specific guy. I haven't really said much about Hicks and I've said more about the next two guys I'm going to mention. Um, and maybe maybe they both deserve a little bit of the heat. But Hicks has not played in years in the MLB. 
And they leave some guys on base last night. Yeah, but by the looks of the box score, so did everybody else. Um, let's just see what happens with them. And if at the all-star break, it looks like we're in the position to make some moves, let's go get an outfielder. It's fine. Let's bring up Florial maybe in, in May. You know, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe he gets hurt again. Like, let's just see what happens with this guy. And I think it's too early to judge on him. Joey Gallo, too, I think I was pretty pessimistic about him on the roster for this year based on uh, that the Yankees' one problem is we strike out a lot. So to add the player who strikes out the most in the MLB to the roster usually is a little bit tough when, you know, everything's going wrong for the Yankees. But over the series, I'd say we hit the ball well, and Joey Gallo did hit the ball well. He had five hard-hit balls, which would constitute balls hit over 95 miles an hour. Um, But he just fell into some bad luck, and he also had some bad base running on his one hit. Uh, It was a ball off the wall, I believe, on uh, Friday or Saturday, the game, second game of the year. Jackie Bradley was in right, and it bounced right off the wall to him, and Joey Gallo got thrown out by three steps. I think you just got to know who's in the outfield. and I think of all outfielders in the entire Major League Baseball, I think there's maybe one other guy that you just, like, don't run on. And Jackie Bradley's, like, either one or two on the list. Like, he, you don't run on him. We tried to run on him. And Joey Gallo in his one uh, hit of the of the season so far is one hard hit ball that was able to find some grass because I think he hit every other ball, just a hard line drive right at the uh, right fielder. Um, he gets thrown out at second. So people are a little aggravated with him. He also struck out four times, but he did walk three times. Um, listen, Aaron Boone is saying that uh, he's reaching pitches that he didn't get to last year. He hit the ball hard. Let's see what happens with him. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. You know, I hope. I think the goal for him is definitely to get the strikeouts down, regardless of, you know, he said that he's not going to change his approach. But, you um, I think nothing to do with you can still have the approach that Joey Gallo has and cut down the strikeouts. I think it's pretty reasonable to try to figure that one out. Um, and so we'll see what happens with him. Uh, another one was Connor Falefa. Not great in the field. A couple of errors, a couple of bad throws. Didn't look smooth on really any ground ball to, you know, to him. Um and then at the plate, one for 11, one walk, three strikeouts. So one thing that I think I was worried about, and, you know, it's now 7.05, so tonight uh, Yankees play the Blue Jays, start a four-game series. Um, I think the one thing I worry about, and he's not in the lineup tonight, and the two guys that I think I was always – that I was worried about with this deal with the Twins were DJ and Glaber and how – their at-bats would be affected. Um, you know, DJ is a gold glove infielder. I think wherever you put him, he'll be fine, especially, you know, he does play second base, but Glaber Torres is, clearly should be our second baseman. And I think this is why I was worried with the Josh Donaldson stuff and IKF as well as he started all three games this weekend. Um, 
I just think the roster construction leaves too few at-bats for Glaber. Like, this is an investment into our future. Um, he hasn't been as good the last two years as he was the first two years of his career, where he came in third with the Rookie of the Year in 2018. And 2019 was really good as well. All-star in both years. And then 2020, like I said, discard. But last year was really not good. Didn't hit the ball as hard as he was in the other previous years. Um, they said, before, you know, in spring training that he's in the best shape of his life. Um, so we'll we'll see with him. But I think with IKF, if he's not going to play good defense, let's just put him on the bench. Like, I know that that still doesn't help with our, you know, getting involved in the roster. And I mean, getting involved with at bats with DJ and Glaber, because we still have Donaldson and it's going to be interesting how we move stuff around. I think you probably have to figure that although the Yankees don't want to put judge in center, that they're going to have to, because they would rather have, him in center and Stan playing right field, you know, getting those two guys in the lineup with Glaber and DJ second and third base, uh, second base, one of them and DH the other and Donaldson. Like that's the best lineup the Yankees have. So they're going to have to trot that out a lot. So it just leaves one guy out. And I don't want it to be either of them because when the Yankees have been good, both of those players have been good. And when the Yankees have been middle of the road the last two years, both of those players have had bad, well, 2020 DJ actually actually won, had the highest average and won the batting title, I think. But last year in a full season, both of them stunk and the Yankees lineup hurt. It wasn't, you know, DJ was a mainstay at the top of the lineup. Now we have Donaldson there and I think, Based on Donaldson striking out six times over the uh, first three games of the year, he did go four for 15 and looks good. I'm not as mad as I was before because I think as long as he stays healthy, that move will work out for the Yankees. Like he was a clear upgrade at the plate from Gio and pretty much the same fielder. I think probably more range, just as good of an arm. Uh, maybe not as smooth looking, but, you know, Geo did have a little bit of a range problem, I think. Not the not the quickest guy, so. Um, and I'm sure if you look at his defensive war, it would support what I'm saying. Um, but this team goes when all of the players we're invested in are doing well. Last year, DJ LeMahieu and Glaber. Maybe not the top guys, but still some huge complimentary pieces based on where we ha- like want to put them in the lineup, which is DJ first, I think, and Glaber somewhere at like seven. Because if you can realistically start DJ at third or DJ at second, we'll just say Judge in center, and this is in the order of the lineup: Judge in center, Rizzo at first, Stan in right, Donaldson at third, Joey Gallo in left, and then. The bottom of your lineup is Glaber Torres as the DH, um, the catcher, and then whoever you're playing at shortstop. That's solid. Like that, that's the Yankees right there. Um, 
I think Marwin Gonzalez has a chance to play himself into a spot because, like I mentioned, I thought IKF was here for a defensive replacement, and you're going to have to hit to stay in the lineup anyway. One for 11 is not great. And obviously, like I was mentioning, with all the players that have taken heat so far, it's too early to judge and it's too early to give up on people. But there are spots to be had. You know, spring training was short this year. And I'm not saying that they haven't made their evaluations on guys, but let's just say Marwin Gonzalez starts having a little bit of of a week here. There's no reason that we don't put him at shortstop and start him, in my opinion. I mean, I know he made the trade for for Falefa, but results matter. Like, he's never been a above-average league hitter. We got him for defense. He doesn't look great at defense at shortstop, so let's see what we've got with Marwin tonight. Um, So all of that to say, Labor Torres... DJ, I think, need to be getting the investment of at-bats because we're invested in them monetarily in the present with DJ. And either way, Glaber Torres is an investment of our future because we're either going to pay him at the end of his arbitration process or we're going to trade him and he's going to get something back. I mean, so playing him and having him prove that he's good uh, could be beneficial for the Yankees in a lot of ways. So. Try to get those guys more at bats. Um, one last two small points about the Yankees I have are looks like my first trip to the Yankee Stadium, uh, corner of 161 and River, will be on Wednesday for Garrett Cole's second start of the year. So hopefully everything is on time for 707 sharp. Um, Otherwise, he might lose it, and I might have to start the game in his uh, in his place. Um, should be fun. I'm going with my brother and a couple of his friends, uh, so I'm excited to to see the team for the first time live. I've obviously been tuned in here for for most of the first three games, and when Go Be Great episode eight is over, it'll probably be the second or third inning. So I'll be tuned in uh, for the rest of the night there as well. Um, and then tonight we face Manoa. This is a game that the Yankees last year would lose. So I feel like this is a huge game. Like, listen, there's 162 games. Let's not, you know, put all of our uh, um, eggs into one game. Like, it's not the end of the world if we lose tonight. But I think it says a lot about the Yankees going forward. Um depending on how the two series to open the season go. Like the Blue Jays are supposed to be the best team in the AL uh, East and maybe even in the league. This is what, you know, the media and the press are talking about. So let's see. Let's see what the Yankees got. You know, they just took two of three from what I think is a good Boston team. Um, And, you know, they played us close in all three games. Like we won won by uh, one run. In one game, we won by two runs in the next game. And uh, in the third game, we lose by one run. So not much of a difference there. Three tight, close games, and I expect the same thing. But this is a typical game last year that Alec Manoa is on the mound. He just goes six innings, three hits, uh, one run, 
nine strikeouts, eight strikeouts, whatever, and we lose like four to two. Um, so let's see. This is you know we have Glaber and DJ in the lineup tonight. I think uh, you know we also have Rizzo, Gallo, Stan, and Judge. So Donaldson's really the only one out. Let's see what we got. This is a good pitcher for Toronto, and they're gonna have pretty much a good pitcher in all four games this week against us. Let's go see what we got. Uh, I think tonight especially is a big one to have, though. And then you have to hope with uh, Cole and Seve going Wednesday and Thursday. You know that Those are your two best guys. You want to win those games. And Nestor was one of your best guys last year. Um, so it's, it's exciting. You know, baseball – is an everyday thing, you know, learning about your team every day. It's not like any other sport really in that aspect where 180, you know, about next 180 days, I'm going to see my team play 162 times and the story of the season will be written, you know, right in front of our eyes. There's no wondering what's going to happen next week or the next game in two days and three days and whatever it is. I think that's why baseball really resonates with me personally. I, like looking forward to the next night, uh, seeing what new guys have to offer, you know, when you make moves in the middle of the year and when you make signings at the end of seasons. So I'm excited for Wednesday. I'm excited for tonight. I think this will, these two series being in the division is good for the Yankees to start off and we will, uh, we'll see how we do. A couple of other general MLB storylines to start the season um Seiya Suzuki the right fielder for the Chicago Cubs makes his debut at Wrigley Field this uh past Thursday or Friday um they open the the season with a three-game series against the Brewers where they actually won two to one so that's a good uh start for Chicago and their free agent signing from the Japanese Professional League. Uh, Seiya Suzuki comes in and starts off three for eight. Uh, he walked four times, four strikeouts. He had one absolute bomb into center field, a 415-foot home run. Um, it had six RBI, so that was my National League Rookie of the Year pick. So that's a good start for me and a good start for Seiya. Um, we also have Steven Kwan from the Cleveland Guardians. Um, he reached fifteen. He reached base fifteen times in four games, which is like pretty much unheard of. He hasn't strike struck out one time um, in his at bats. He's nine for twelve with two doubles. He had a bases clearing triple today on Monday. Uh, they played the Royals earlier today at two p.m. Eastern time. Um, and he had a bases clearing triple and they split the series with Kansas City after a win 10-7 today so that was pretty much a difference maker in the uh, top of the 8th he has walked 5 times and was hit by one pitch so 15 times in 4 games zero strikeouts hasn't swung and missed which is also pretty nuts um and by going 1 for 3 today uh with a couple of RBI 
he lowered his average from 800 to 692. So a good start for Quan. He's 24 years old and was raised in the uh, Guardians minor league system the last few years, uh, 2019 and 2021, as the 2020 minor league season was canceled. Uh, I believe he's from Oregon State. So a 24-year-old rookie for Cleveland um, had a hot spring is rolling it right into the beginning of the season. So um, uh, we also had Byron Buxton, who had a pretty good start. I believe he is three of tw- three of twelve from the plate, but all three are home runs, including an absolute nuke um, of the first one. But unfortunately, the Twins lost two of the first three to the Mariners, and are tonight looking to uh, split the series in Minnesota. Um, but three home runs for Buxton, good start. Another guy who needs to stay healthy, but when he, is, when he has been healthy, he's been one of the best hitters in the league after he was really known for his defensive play in the beginning of his career, and he still has that. There's no doubt about that. He's still one of the best defensive center fielders in the league, but in the last few years, he's really – had a bit of a power. Um, his power has just gotten better. I mean, it's very clear in the numbers. And he just really hasn't been healthy. But in his last 100 games, I think he has like 35 home runs, which is pretty crazy. Um, so you have to hope for the Twins' chances of being good this year. Um, that Buxton stays hot. And he's just good for baseball anyway, a center fielder who can play defense like him and lead off in Minnesota's lineup and absolutely rake. Uh, That would be good for them if he could stay healthy. Um, And then we had players of the week in the AL. It was Alex Bregman of the uh, Houston Astros, 6 of 14 with two bombs and six RBI. Um, And then Nolan Arenado, 6 of 12 in the NL for the um, Cardinals, two homers, three doubles. So he leads the league in extra base hits so far. 7 RBI. The Pirates took 2 of 3 from I mean the Cardinals took 2 of 3 from the Pirates. Uh today's game canceled and so that's a good start for my NL Central champs. Um I have one more baseball uh story but it is not MLB it's actually over in Japan in the Nippon Professional Baseball League where 20-year-old Roki Sasaki pitched a perfect game. For the Chiba Lot Marines, I think I got the the location or city name right. Um, he had 13 straight strikeouts from the second or the third out of the first inning, and then had four straight innings of one, two, three strikeout the sides. Um, 19 total strikeouts, 105 pitches. His catcher was making like his 10th career start in professional uh baseball uh his name is ko matsukawa i think i got his name right um and this kid sasaki was making his 19th career start like i mentioned 20 years old so um throwing 100 miles an hour has a nasty splitter uh they were posting videos of his strikeouts he also looks like he's got a little bit of a slider so um, 
20 years old. And we'll see how long it takes for him to make his way over to Major League Baseball. Um, There's a different system with the uh, Asian teams. Um, There's one system with KBO and then another for Nippon. And it's based on years of service. So this kid, uh, Roki Sasaki, could be posted by his team. If, you know, it starts to be rumored by the American journalist of what Sasaki might get in terms of per year contract, you know, they get 20% of whatever the teams are going to pay the players. For example, this past up or this last season, uh, say uh, Suzuki went for $85 million over five years. And so roughly 25% of that is going to be $16 million or so. So uh, they get that money. And so if it comes up that Sasaki is going to make a number that is too, too high for them to pass up, maybe he could be posted at the end of this season if he does really well. Um, But they could refuse to do this. And in which case, he'd have to accrue nine years of service time in Japan. And so in that case, he wouldn't be able to come over until 2029. He'd only be 27 then, but I mean, that would be pretty shameful if this kid is throwing 100 miles an hour, the reports are, and has a nasty splitter. Um, He could definitely be pitching in the major leagues right now at that. You know, maybe not as a starter with only a two-pitch mix. It sounds like out of the 105 pitches, 99 were fastballs and splitters. And, you know, maybe the argument is that NPB isn't as good, but when Tanaka came over after a 24-0 season, um, he then had a a 1-5 ERA and NPB the year before comes to uh, New York and throws like a three, three. So I think it's fair to say that they aren't comparable with MLB, you know, maybe those top guys like Sasaki and Suzuki who came over this year to the Cubs and Shohei, obviously, and Ichiro. Um, and you know, there's been countless others, but those are the top names that I think of right off the bat. Clearly those top players are, are very comparable and some have even you know Ichiro specifically has come and been one of the best players in Major League Baseball after being the best player in NPB and Shohei just won the MVP and so you know there's clearly uh there's clearly players who have been worth it before and I think this kid was going to be the next one it's just a matter of when his team decides that the money is going to be too much for them to not just, you know, put him up on the posting board and then he'd have 30 days to negotiate with all the teams. Um, We'll see where he goes. I I don't know if it'll be this year. I really hope it will because, like I said, 27 years old, it's not like he still won't be good. But there's clearly some liveness in the arm. You know, maybe he you sign him now and put him in triple a for a year 
Um, you know, get work with his, put him in the bullpen, work with his, uh, his mechanics a little bit, whatever you want to do, but hundred miles an hour will play in MLB. Um, and you know, you develop a third or fourth pitch with him and you see where it goes on that. So that would conclude my major league baseball talk. Um, I'll definitely be talking about the Yankees, I think, pretty much on every episode going forward as long as the season uh, is is going. And I'll be checking in on the other stories in the MLB um, as they come up. Now, I think, like I mentioned before, with 162 games and 180 days, there's so many things to talk about. And I think in terms of the top three sports, baseball, basketball, football, I know the most about this and I'd be pretty dumb to not give my takes and talk about the sport that I know the most, even if it's the third most popular, I think out of the three big ones, you know, basketball and football seemingly are, are larger in terms of, uh, market share and stuff like that but I'm not going to let that affect what I give you guys in terms of content like I said I feel like my baseball content could be the best out of the three and I think out of the three probably basketball the worst and you'll probably be able to tell based on what I'm going to say in terms of the NBA playoffs and play-in games that I'm not as locked in and this season's been going on since October and I could talks for so much longer about the MLB uh, just in the first four days of the season, but I tried to keep it to the important stories that I, you know, obviously I have a lot of insight and uh, opinions on the Yankees, but I paid attention to a lot of other things going on with my MLB TV subscription. Um, And I really like just want to lock into the baseball stuff more than anything else. So, um, I will talk about the NBA because it is coming up. The playing games are, you know, tomorrow or today, depending on when uh, you guys get to listening to the pod. I think it'll probably be later tonight for a lot of you because I know I'll probably put it out by uh, probably by midnight, I guess, of between Monday and Tuesday. So, um we have the seven verse eight playing games tonight, both in the Eastern and Western Conference, and then the eight. Uh, I mean, then the nine verse ten on Wednesdays, on Wednesday, uh, and then the you know the winner of the seven verse the eight will play the two seed in each conference, and then the loser will play the winner of the eight nine game or of the nine ten game, excuse me, on Friday. So. A lot of numbers, a lot of scenarios, but I'm going to go through them really quick. Then I'm going to give my series predictions for the first series of the season, of the postseason, excuse me, because those start on Saturday and Sunday. Um, Now I'm just going to do Western Conference Final, uh, Eastern Conference Final, and Final Prediction. And I'm going to do it very quickly. Like I said, I haven't been as locked in to the NBA season as baseball 
and even as football when it was, you know, in mid mid season. So, um, you know, base uh, football, excuse me, goes from September to February. Then, for me personally, I'm a big college basketball guy, so I haven't really been locked into the NBA for the last month and a half. So I missed the last month and a half of the year. Um, so I'm going to give my best takes. I think I can definitely, you know, I know what players on every team. I think that's the beauty of the NBA season. Like if you're a big fan and you want to tune in uh, to every game, you can easily do that. And, you know, if you want to just tune in to playoff time, like me, like, you can kind of figure out with who's, you know, coached by who and what the rosters are. Like, you can kind of figure out what's going to happen uh, and have a, a decent idea um, of NBA, at least for the last few years when it was LeBron in Cleveland and the Warriors as constructed or with Kevin Durant in addition. Um My phone just went off and I lost my train of thought. That's very good. Um, So I guess we'll just go with the picks. Like I mentioned, seven versus eight is later on tonight or tomorrow, depending on when you get it. Um, And seven versus eight in the Eastern Conference is Cleveland. And Brooklyn, that game will be in Brooklyn. Um, I have the Nets in that one. I mean, I think the Cavs could definitely give them trouble. And I think looking at the seeding of the Eastern Conference in a weird way, the Nets would probably rather be on the side with Miami at the one and then the four or five winner of Philly and Toronto. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm just underrating uh, the Heat. They are a good team, but they've been good in previous seasons and kind of not been as good in the playoffs. I think there's a such thing as a regular season team in the NBA because it's happened before. Um, but for the Nets, it doesn't make sense to want to play Friday and then start their series Sunday. Um, so also just when you have two of the top 10 players in the NBA on your team and the Cavs don't have, you know, they have some good pieces with Garland and Mobley and Kevin Love's been good off the bench for them as a veteran. And, you know, they have some other good pieces. But uh, I don't think... I don't think that they have a lot to really compete with the Nets, especially if it was a series, but in one game, I think they'll just be able to pull it out. It's also in Brooklyn. Um, and, you know, the Nets are, are low in the seating, but I think some things have changed since Andre Drummond has made his way to Brooklyn. Uh, definitely in terms of interior defense and offense, they've also been more, uh, they've given more of a role to Claxton, so that was good for them. You know, they I think that was the one place where they knew they were uh, 
lacking a little bit was interior defense and offense really as well. Um, so he's been big for them, and I think they take that one. Uh, the loser, which would be the Cavs in my prediction here, play the winner of the Hornets and the Hawks. And the Hawks are a big three-point shooting team between Trey Young, uh, Bogdanovich. So, you know, you have to figure if they get hot, and they definitely can get hot on their home court, that they might be tough to take down in a one-game playoff. You know, their fans are pretty good in Atlanta, but I really like the Hornets. I'm a big fan of LaMelo Ball. Um, I think Mikal Bridges has been really, really good for them as well. And they definitely are, I don't want to say underrated because, you know, I think they're hyped up just about as much as they should be for a 10 seed. But I like LaMelo Ball, and I think if if he can just, you re, like I mentioned, if Atlanta is going to shoot the ball well in this game, I think Atlanta is going to win. So Charlotte should be looking to try to make it hard for Trey Young to score. So that matchup would presumably be either Terry on Trey Young or LaMelo on Trey Young. Uh, I'm going to pick Charlotte, so it would be Charlotte and Cleveland. And I would pick Cleveland in that game. Uh, so it would be the Nets as the seven and the Cavs as the eight in the playing tournament on the Eastern side, on the Western side, it's Minnesota versus the Clippers on Tuesday night. And I, I would pick the Timberwolves here. Um, I'm pretty sure Los Angeles just got back Paul George. So that's definitely good for them. Um, but the Timberwolves have been good all year uh, between Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. They're really a good team. I mean, they have some other good pieces around them as well. D'Angelo Russell um, and the games at home, they've really done well in Minnesota all year. So I'm going to go Minnesota there. So the Clippers would then play the winner of the Pelicans and the Spurs, and I would pick the Pelicans. And then I'd pick the Pelicans to beat the Clippers as well. Um, I really like Brandon Ingram. I think the addition of C.J. McCollum was questionable because people were like, oh, the Pelicans shouldn't be trying to compete for anything. And then here they find themselves in the play-in tournament. They want to win. They they think they're a legitimate playoff team. Um And I think between McCollum and Ingram, they could legitimately take down the Clippers in this game. Um, And I think they'll handle the Spurs, like I said. I think the home court advantage in these games is going to kind of be big. Um, It seemingly happens that way a lot in the NBA playoffs anyway. Uh, And then one game, you know, emotions on the line, whole season on the line. Uh, And then factor in roster composition. I just like the Pelicans roster better than the Spurs. I like the Pelicans overall roster better than the Clippers as well without Kawhi Leonard in it. So um, my seven and eight seeds there would be the Timberwolves and the Pelicans. Uh, So we'll go right in to my very quick um, 
series matchup winners and then uh, Western and Eastern Conference finals predictions and then finals predictions and we'll see where we're at after one round and at the end of the NBA playoffs in June. Um, the one seed in the West is Phoenix and my eight seed prediction is the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, and even if I'm wrong about the Pelicans and it is one of the uh, other teams, I think whoever it is, even if it's Minnesota, has a tough time with Phoenix. Um, I think Phoenix is a very hungry team this year. I mean, clearly they had the best record in the NBA, so that's going for them. But a tough, tough loss in the NBA Finals last year to Milwaukee. They were up to nothing and then lost four straight. Um, I think that they have unfinished business and just based on who they have on their team with Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, um, Miles Bridges, or maybe McCall's on the Suns and Miles is on the, uh, Hornets. See, this is what I'm talking about, folks. I'm a, I'm a little bit away from the game enough that I could mess up something like that. I still have a lot of good, you know, I still have some good takes, I feel like, about the sport and about what's going to happen here in the playoffs. But that's just one where, you know, I couldn't really tell you and you can search it up for yourself. But um, Cam Johnson has had a good season for the Suns as well. Uh, So I think either way, I have it versus the Pelicans. But whoever it is, it is either uh, 4-0 Phoenix or 4-1. my seven seed prediction is Minnesota, and they would be matched up with the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I have Memphis in five there. They've been the best team all year without their star player, John Morant. And then when you add him in, they've been really good. Um, you know, it's a tough team to take down, I feel like. Uh, they're really deep with, with Ja. Um, Desmond Bain, great three-point shooter. Uh, Steven Adams plays a really good role for them as their center. Uh, I like I like this team. Um, and the Wolves are a good young story with, with Towns and, and Edwards, but they'll be a little bit in, in over their heads there. Uh, so I have Memphis in five. Um, I think the best matchup is the Warriors and the Nuggets. Um, the Warriors are good, and they've been missing – players for portions of the year everywhere you know they were missing Steph for a little bit they were missing Draymond for a little bit and Clay Thompson didn't start the season on the active roster but made his way into it uh, recently and then on the Denver side of things you have uh, Nikola Jokic who I believe came in second in the MVP he might have won it um, I think that actually is going to get might be getting announced in the middle of the playoffs. I feel like the NBA does it that way. Um, but he might have ended the season as the favorite in Vegas. So probably a, a good bet to say that he's going to win it. Um, so I really like Jokic. They have a couple of other good players. Um, but I think Steph Curry shoots the ball well and Clay shoots the ball well, which I expect them to do. They have the home court advantage. I have Warriors in six. 
although it'll be tough uh, with Jokic. I think even though Draymond is probably one of the best guys in the NBA to to guard a player like Jokic, um, he'll still do what he has to do. Uh, Not enough to win the series, so Golden State in six. And then we have Dallas and Utah. Dallas is the four, so they have the home court advantage, but Luka Doncic injured himself in the last regular season game. Um, so it's not even confirmed if he's going to even play in the series or at least in the beginning of the series. Um, even if he is, I have Utah on six. I think, uh, listen, the Mavericks are a good regular season team with with one of the best players in the NBA in Doncic, but Utah has a bunch of different um, guys who can score the, score the ball. Uh, and they have two... You know, they have a great defensive player in Gobert, but they have two good options in terms of guys to defend Luka with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. Um, So I think just based on the depth of the Utah team, even though they've been having seemingly some locker room problems in the end of the year this year, uh, I would pick the Jazz there in six if Luka plays at like 90% or whatever, and even worse if he's out of the lineup. so my Western Conference, I, w- I would just take the one and the two seed here, folks. I think Phoenix and Memphis are the best two teams in the West. And I just think there's enough of a gap between the other teams that are in the playoffs uh, that no one could really stand a chance against them in a seven-game series. Um, Memphis is a really good story, but like I mentioned, Phoenix has some unfinished business from last year. They could feel it, they could taste it, they could smell it at 2-0 um, in the NBA Finals, and then four straight games, they dropped to Milwaukee, uh, and then they come back with the best regular season um, of any NBA team this year. Um, now, the roster is good, like I mentioned, uh, and I think between home court advantage and having uh, you know a, a team that matches up well with Memphis, like you have an older Chris Paul who really can, even if he's not going to play defense on Ja, uh, feel like having a player coach like Chris Paul on the court is just a really good asset to have in terms of trying to take away stuff he does, even if he's not going to be the the main defender on him. I also think, um, I also think that um, the DeAndre Hayton matchup with Steven Adams might be somewhat of a big advantage for Phoenix, even though uh, Steven Adams is a tough player and is very good. DeAndre Hayton is like one of the, in my opinion, the best centers in the league. So um, I would pick Phoenix in like six there. Uh, so Phoenix would be, my rep, my representative of the Western Conference for the finals. Um, and then I'll really quickly run through the East. Um, so Miami is the one versus Cleveland in my projection. Uh, Miami in five. I think Cleveland just doesn't have enough. Um, Miami has three really good – well, they have a really good team in general, but Kyle Lowry, great a uh, locker room addition to Miami this year. I think something that Jimmy Butler 
as a, a leader was lacking. You add in Kyle Lowry, allows Jimmy to just do what he needs to do in terms of the offensive side. You have the leader in Lowry. You have a, the sixth man of the year with Tyler Hero off the bench and Ben Adebayo, another really good uh, center in the league. Um, so I have Miami in five there. Boston versus the Nets. This is a big one for me, guys. Um, a couple of years ago when the Nets added Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and then James Harden, um, I went on the uh, I went on the internet and into my group chats and whatnot, and even on my podcast, What a Hardo, at the time, and I would be going to bat for the Boston Celtics. I would be saying that they're in a better shape to win championships than the Nets, and so this is kind of a big series for my take. But I'm not going to lie; I think uh, it's a lot of James Harden hate for me. And now that he's gone, I really don't mind the Nets as much. Um, And so then you have to just take into account who's on the court. It's a really good match, I think. It could definitely go either way. You know, the Celtics as a team have just had a better year overall. But in terms of who the Nets have, the Nets are the better team. Um, and I think at the end of the, you know, it's going to be a seven game series. Uh, it's going to be in Boston game seven. So it's really tough. Have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown grown up enough to take down Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and maybe who knows if Ben Simmons comes back and this reloaded Nets roster after the trade and the addition of Andre Drummond as well. Um, I think they are grown enough, but I I think the Nets with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in a must-win game, especially after last year where they came up short um, without Kyrie. I just, I don't see, I don't really see the Celtics taking the series. Um, Like I said, it's going to be close. It's going to be back and forth. But in a must-win game, after what happened last year, uh, I think the Nets take it in Boston. So Nets in seven there. Um, Three versus six in the East is Milwaukee and Chicago. The Bulls were in first at some point, I'm pretty sure, and had a fall from grace. Milwaukee, great Great year again from Giannis. Um, And out of respect for DeMar DeRozan, I really like him so much that I'll say Bucks in five. But I could see this being a sweep. Uh, Chicago really has just not been as good in the last month of the year. They dropped a lot of games. And I think Giannis in the playoffs, really tough to overcome, especially if the other uh, players for the Bucks, such as Bobby Portis. Um, clearly, Chris Middleton is, is a superstar in his own right. And if he's hot, watch out because it's going to be tough to take them down. Um, so out of respect for DeMar DeRozan on the Bulls, I'll say Bucks in five there. And I think Milwaukee is primed for another big 
off a big um another big postseason run, excuse me, because if they're yeah, I mean they're matched up with Chicago, that's an easy one, and then they get the winner of the Boston and the Nets. Uh see what happens there, but I I like them there as well. Um 76ers and Toronto is the last matchup, and Philly is the four seed, so they have the home court advantage. I think Embiid is just too good for the interior of the Raptors. Um, And you've also seen Tyrese Maxey emerge as a star in the league. You know, uh, James Harden, excuse me, as much as I don't like him, is better than any player Toronto could trot out there. I think Toronto will win a game or two in Toronto because those fans are good and the team is not bad by any means, Uh, but I have Philly in six there. Um, My Eastern Conference final is the Heat and the Bucks, and I have the Bucks back in the finals for a rematch between Phoenix and Milwaukee. Um. It's going to be Suns, folks, to avenge last year's loss in six. Uh, I really like the Bucks. I really like Giannis. Um, I just think there's something about bulletin board material. Uh, and like I've mentioned previous, 2 nothing lead for the Suns last year, and they lose the next four games. I can tell you that that thought has not exited any of their minds they came back hungry for this year uh and i think in a matchup there at the end of the day with the bucks you know what Giannis is going to do to you you have to really just try to take away the supporting pieces and not let them beat you drew holiday and chris middleton being the top two guys that i can think of um and i think phoenix has what it takes to do that And so I have Suns and Six there. Um, That'll do it for Go Be Grade 8, folks. I really appreciate with you guys uh, hanging in with me for a couple of sports there. Um, uh, Today is Monday, so I guess we'll try to be keeping up this two-time-a-week pod drop as the MLB season goes forward, as well as the NBA postseason. And then... Uh, at some point in the next few episodes, we'll have to do an NFL mock draft for the first round. Um, not next episode, but at some point, because I believe it's coming at the end of the month now. Um, so we'll do two times a week going forward. I guess that means next time you could be hearing from me is going to be Thursday, between Thursday and Friday. So I'd say more likely Thursday at midnight, so Friday morning, would be your best shot or your best bet there. Um, And so thank you guys once again for tuning in. And I will be back on Friday morning with, I guess, results of the NBA play-ins to that point and some more MLB news. Uh, Thank you, guys.